0: audio sorry about that y'all can slap biz around for that one wasn't my fault but welcome back to the podcast we're live on rumble live on youtube looking forward to this week you guys please give a big warm welcome to my good friend howie how are you doing howie good
1: garrett how you doing brother
0: man i can't complain i'm looking forward to this one been a while yeah it's been a while while and you brought all kinds of goodies and we get to talk about all of them these are my favorite kind of shows They are, (laughs) yeah so for those of you that don't know Howie Howie is the owner of Old Hansford you can see it here in the middle that is what I am currently sipping on so I don't have to do a whole segment this week on what we drink and what we smoking because that's what this whole episode's about um I'll let Howie dive into this here in a little bit, but uh, I'm smoking his uh, old Hansford cigar that they uh, just recently put out. It's excellent. I got to smoke one of these Saturday at the DFW Whiskey Club Golf Tournament. He uh, so generously brought me one of these early, so I got to smoke one then. Why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about this, because they really love to geek out on what we're actually smoking. (laughs)
1: So, our whole cigar deal, actually, that was just a big promo- promotion thing we did. We're really not selling them anywhere. We're just giving them away as promos for the whiskey. But um, our common friend, Jason Giles, had a birthday party last year. Yeah. And he had Ryan and Holly Rodriguez there. They're mm-hmm. from Fort Worth that have connections with Nicaragua. And um, rolled some cigars for Jason with his Rosewood line. Yeah. And they were amazing.
0: They were really good.
1: And since we had Holly and Ryan there, got to quiz them about the whole thing and said we might be interested in doing something like that, and one thing led to another. And about six months later, we had 100 cigars for promo, and everybody who's tried them has really, really loved them. Now, I used to really be big into cigars, and I still love smoking cigars, but I'm not as deep into it as I once was. Yeah. And we just let Holly and Ryan run with it. They're just like, give us some whiskey, and um, we'll take care of the rest. And they worked up the blend. They worked up the infusion, all of it. And they don't tell us what their whole process is, but um, it works better than any other infused cigars I've ever smoked. Um,
0: Yeah, it's really good.
1: We had it toned down to where I didn't want them to be like truck stop, maker's mark cigars. I want them to be legitimate because I still like smoking cigars. So the tobacco in them is just amazing, And it just complements so well with the whiskey to where it just brings a little bit of it in without it just being like it's saturated. And if you're smoking one of the cigars with the whiskey, it's the perfect pairing.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you and I had a lot of interesting conversations when you were talking about doing this after Jason's party. Um, I've not been the biggest fan of the infused cigars. Um, I speak pretty openly about that. Although, one of the ones I brought for you that you hadn't got to try yet is the one that was done here at ICC with the locals, the Pegasus. This is a principal cigar that they aged in the uh, Mystery Mash barrel. That from, was an uh, amazing blend. Yeah, amazing that they did blend. with uh, Tim up at the uh, whiskey oh wait, It blender. wasn't a
1: blend. That was a straight barrel. It was, was blended in the barrel. It
0: was blended in the barrel. Yeah. yeah. So this actually fermented in the barrel. It like re-fermented. Because it was in there for like eight or nine months. So this wow. went through a whole different cycle. So I'm going to be interested to see what you think about this one. Um, they pulled them at all different points. There's still a few of these left up at ICC if you guys want these. Um, I highly recommend these. But this, if you run into Howie, I highly suggest you ask for one. This does not taste infused at all to me. So this tastes like just a really good, smooth, kind of got a little bit of a Mm cocoa-y finish to Mm -hmm. it, to me. Um, I'm not the greatest at breaking down cigars like that, but I really like this. It's very smooth. It's pleasant. It stays pretty, you know, baseline across the whole palate to where you're not overwhelmed up front, on the back, like you said. Mm -hmm. But then when you pair it with your bourbon, it's... Phenomenal! Like, it, it complements it perfectly. So, they definitely did a good job of pairing oh, yeah. that. Ryan and
1: Holly are amazing. Are you getting any of the sweet notes in it? A little mm-hmm. bit of the coffee stuff we have in our flavor profile. Like the, a little of the coffee co- ness in it.
0: Toffee, cocoa butter, like, mm-hmm. some, something like that. Um, and a little, and a, and a very light end of chocolate on the yes, back. Yes, yes. No, um, they did
1: an amazing job with them. Definitely love those. But, yeah, it's a promotional deal. So, if you see me out in the world... I probably have some with me, so more than happy to share.
0: And hopefully a lot of the bourbon clubs are watching tonight. I'm, I'm hoping we're getting some support there because you support every one of the local clubs. It's actually how I first met you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at first, had no idea what Old Hansford was. You, you know, you shared that with me out at the—you uh, can try that mm-hmm. one if it's not. It was just filled recently. I might not have got all the air out of it. But you shared it with me at, man, I want to think the first time I met you was at Loyalty.
1: Yeah, one of the drops back in in 2021,
0: somewhere around there. Um, But I was just, you know, the first time I had your stuff, I mean, I'm completely honest on here. I didn't like the first batch a whole lot. It was a little hot for me. It came out a little hot, and you're yeah. putting out some high, higher proof stuff back that was, then.
1: That was our highest proof stuff we've ever released. That was right out of the gate, and that one was 124.75. Yeah. And your comments and a lot of other input we had, um, we changed up our process a little bit to smooth it out. Yeah. The proof came down a little bit, and being cast strength is what we tout ourselves at, but there's no legal definition of cast strength. Mm-hmm. There might be some people who want to debate me on that, but... Letter of the law, it's, there's no, if you call something cast strength as opposed to bonded or yeah. single barrel or um, straight bourbon, which mm-hmm. have legal definitions to them, mm-hmm. there's none for cast strength or bourbon proof. So usually we all realize in the bourbon world that it's somewhere yeah uh, north of 110, usually around 115. But the barrels we were getting were, came in so much hotter that I really wanted to take, stay true to cast strength yeah. without adding a drop of water or doing any yeah. other post-processing or anything. And so we came in at that 124.75. With the input we got from everybody, it's like, okay, we're a little, we're a little hot for the, for the Joe Blows in the world. So even the whiskey groups were like, yeah, it's kind of hot. But it never, I never thought it drank that hot. I always thought it drank closer to like a 107.110, quite honestly. Proof always. It just had them. a lot
0: of pepper on the back end and a lot of that like big red spice on it like that, like the chewing gum to me yes. on that first bottle like that. Yeah. That really caught my attention. Very strong. It was very bold up front. Mm. And that probably added to it seeming like it was hotter. True. Whereas I remember like one of the bottles you gave me in one of the next few batches when I saw you, that one was actually higher than your first bottle one that I had tried and you were like this one's actually higher but it to me drank way way lower than what I'm
1: wondering if you may was? have tried our second batch first and then so that may our have been first batch second because we had nothing higher than that first one so I think it was flip flop. okay there. maybe it was flip-flop but there fine, but yeah it
0: but it what you've done recently I, I'm a big fan of like you you can mm-hmm. get this pretty much all over around here now
1: Yeah, we're in all the Liquor Kings. Um, Thank God for those guys. They've been kind to us, and so all the Liquor Kings have us. We're still not in specs or total wine. When we first got started, entry into those big box stores Mm -hmm. were difficult for a small producer like us. You had to be bringing some background sales, and we have this much product to support all your stores. And so we focused more on the mom-and-pop stuff, which has been good to us because... I love the mom-and-pop stores. Um, they've been great. Um, Aaron Atterburn over at Loyalty Liquor was one of the f- – and he's bigger than a mom-and-pop store, but <laughs> he um, he Definitely. was one of the first liquor stores to place an order with us to actually get us going, which when you're out there just hat in hand begging to get in a store or find a distributor, for that matter, um, it's good to have people that are willing to lend a hand and help
0: you out. Absolutely. Well, let's let's go back and touch on that. How – How did you decide and take the big leap? Like, where did old Hansford start? Uh, Where did this come from? Because I know this isn't your day job yet. No, no, it's not my day job yet. And probably not for
1: three and a half more years, something like that. But um, maybe longer. Um, I like my day job, what I do. But this is a passion. And you can't replace passion with just a paycheck all the time. But anyway... um, my regular day job, I kind of got into a – wasn't working quite as much as I was used to. You know, I used to work a lot of overtime, and that kind of got cut back quite a bit to where I wasn't required to be there as much as I used to be. And I was at a point in my life to where I had a little time, had a little money, and always enjoyed whiskey. I tell people every time they ask me this question, it's like, how would you get into this? It's like, yeah. I drink a lot. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? Yeah. Well, at some point, you have to drink enough to get a pallet for everything, which I think I pretty much did. But once we got it in our mind, me and my wife, that we were going to do this, um, our purchasing of alcohol greatly (laughs) increased. We were buying bottles of everything to see where we wanted to be and where our pallets really were and what we could agree on on what we were gonna do. So uh, I ramble a lot, so I'm kind of all over the place. But back to having time off and money. So about three years prior, 2016, 2017 time frame, was when the whole crypto thing was going really crazy. When yeah. Bitcoin was on the map and everybody yeah. was just like, whatever, buy as much as you can. So about 2016, 2017, I had a little bit of money, like a few thousand, and um, bought some Bitcoin. And so it exploded By 2019, it was just kind of doing this, it wasn't doing anything, it's just dollars sitting there. Yeah. And when I say exploded, I think by that time I had a single Bitcoin total, 1.0 Bitcoin. And um, it was just not doing anything and I thought the whole deal had kind of run its course and I had money sitting there that could be somewhere else. So I pulled all that out and that's what became our seed money to get going, which Honestly, you talk to people about starting a brand and how little we had to start with. They're always shocked. They're like, man, that's like nothing. Like, that's less than a bass boat. (laughs) It's like, yeah. yeah. But finding people in the industry to work with you and um, just persevering through to where not take, I got told no a lot, (laughs) a lot. But you just keep finding avenues and people that are willing to work with you and get stuff done and. It's not what you may envision it when you start, but as long as you leave yourself open to possibilities, um, things can happen.
0: Yeah, that's so. a great lesson. I mean, you just said I got told no a whole lot. I followed a passion, had a little bit of money, and I bootstrapped it, and I just fought and fought till I got something out there. I mean, I mean that's something to be said. I mean, you have a beautiful label. It's all yours, design bottle get it stuff bottled there's the whole blending process because you don't produce your own stuff yet so we're a non-distiller producer producer. and that's
1: how we envisioned it well that's what we envisioned it from the get-go and um
0: until you win the lottery
1: yeah then not have own distillery within the next month (laughs) as soon as as i could get a still ordered and delivered um but uh, what was i gonna say um It's just a matter of who you work with and stuff and getting things done and um, find the right people to help you along the way. And a lot of the stuff with, that's what I was thinking about, the bottle and everything, that was one of the most maybe disheartening things when we got started. Yeah. Because we had an idea of the bottle and we looked at tons of bottles and artwork and a lot of things we've, we've taken from a lot of the other bottles we like to drink and all that. but having a good presentation bottle when you're trying to tell a distributor what your shelf price is. I was shocked at the number of distributors that I would contact. And it's like, I'd be happy to show up and do a tasting for you and explain our whiskey. It's like, and they're just like, "What's the bottle look like? What's your shelf price? Okay, it'll sell for that. You want to try it? No, we don't care what's in the bottle. That was shocking when that's your passion. It's like, what's yeah. in the bottom is the big part of this for me. And they're like, It just needs to look right, and how many marketing dollars do you have? And so that kind of sucks the wind out of you a
2: little bit.
0: Well, yeah, um, I mean, you see a lot of celebrity-endorsed bottles, and then you see just random people wanting to do bottles, and, you know, people doing something fancy, and you don't want to be gimmicky. You know, that's that's what all of us in the clubs and the connoisseurs are going to say, you know. Whether you're Scotty Pippen putting out your stuff or
1: Mark Wahlberg, you, you know Mark Wahlberg.
0: <laughs> I mean, all these guys just recently in town coming to mind. But I mean, if you don't have that name, how how are you gonna? And you don't have a huge marketing budget. That's a hard thing to do. But I think that's where you found a good little niche too, being very involved with all the bourbon clubs. Yeah, that's, and a,
1: that's a fun. That's a good point because. Up until actually having something in a bottle, I wasn't involved in clubs. And quite honestly, I'm glad it went down that way because if I would have got involved in the clubs at the level I am now, before we'd started the brand, I think all you guys, myself included, would have scared me out of it because it's just too elitist. I'm one of y'all. I do all the same stuff, but it would have just made it seem like it was next to impossible. It was too big a task. It was kind of an ignorance is bliss. I just kind of, I'm going to do this, and yeah. did it without knowing. Maybe I wasn't supposed to do
0: it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you just took the took the shot at yeah. something you were passionate about. I mean, that's so many people don't actually take the shot. You know, like that. That's one of the number one things when I'm talking to a lot of like special forces guys and. You know, the Bad Words podcast just recently had Robert O'Neill on, who's a mm-hmm. Navy SEAL yeah. that killed Bin Laden, and that's what he wrote. I have I have a twenty-two that twenty-two kill bottle that we uh, mm. did. I I drink that with guys that served. Cool. Um, you know, if you protect protect the blue firefighters, if you serve firefighter, police, anything like that, I'll have a drink with you out of that. And I if when I do. I asked you to sign the bottle and sign the Mm. sign the box, you know, it's something I'm just going to keep even when that bottle is gone. And that's one of the biggest things written on there, take the shot. You know, like if you don't take the shot, you never know. And and maybe it was a good thing because you didn't know all the obstacles you had in the way, you know, you and I have another good friend that's launching a similar type Mm. product. And you know, I've, I've had some of the same conversations with him of like, man, You've got a lot of these things figured out, and because you're so involved, you got a big leg up, whereas mm-hmm. you didn't even know about some of those things when oh, you yeah. started it. He had a big leg up, and I know I've watched all the struggles he's gone through. And we've had to have a lot of heart-to-heart conversations mm-hmm. of, hey, man, stay at it. Stay, stay mm-hmm. diligent in your task and your goal here, and just don't give up too much of the pie either. You know, like, you've put in a lot of time and effort to make these things happen same thing with all these guys that run these clubs you know if you've never been a part of a pick club that's gone and done a barrel pick that's an experience or you've never gone to the blendery and tried to blend your own blend this is i mean everybody thinks it sounds super easy and it's just hey i'm gonna go buy this barrel and Hey, Jimmy Russell said I could buy a barrel, and I'm just going to go pick a barrel, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. And everybody's going to be talking about it, and my club's going to be the biggest shit in the world, you know, like, because I got this Jimmy Russell's or this Four Roses or whatever. And that ain't necessarily the case, because even when some of these clubs get a prestigious barrel that they end up getting to, you know, bottle and have out at one of the stores and sell. As one of their picks. That gets shit on just as much <laughs> as the other stuff sometimes. I mean, it's the reality of it is. the bourbon it, world.
1: It is. <laughs> it is. You know, the funny thing is, I had never been on a distillery tour and had never done a barrel pick. And just decided, the, I'm going to start my own first stuff we, The first stuff that I ever went to a distillery and tried was barrels that we were potentially going to buy ourselves.
0: That's amazing to me that you... Oh, there's,
1: like I said, ignorance is bliss. I didn't know what I didn't know.
0: I was kind of the same way when I got in the clubs. I I was buying bourbon. I liked stuff, and I was... I, I quit trying to chase... Even back when I got into it, I didn't always chase this allocated stuff because, it honestly, right then it was changing and getting really hard to get and find, and it was pissing me off because I was like, man, I used to buy Eagle Rare for, like, 16 bucks off the shelf and it was there all the time 16 19 bucks
1: lucky but it was like 35 or 40 when i was buying it
0: (laughs) yeah and it was just like this is crazy and now when i know what it is and it wasn't just all right i'm gonna try this or the guy recommended it and i actually knew what it was and now it's allocated and i'm like what the hell is this and my a lot of my friends are 10 15 years older than me they're like, man, when I was in college, I was drinking Antique 107 Gold Vein like it was going out of style. That was the cheapest shit in the world. I probably still left a case of that in the dorm, you know, in the closet. Like I'm like, this is insane, you know, like but when when you don't know and you're you're trying to figure stuff out, I mean, I chased craft, I chased craft distillers that were doing something unique. You know, I wanted to find you know, that's where I got in with Spirits French Lick and Alan Bishop. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought what Alan was doing was super impressive. You know, like it is it, impressive. It, <laughs> Very impressive. You know, he was bringing back grains out of like the National Seed Institute and stuff, and mm-hmm. growing stuff out on his farm to see if he could bring back a a corn or a wheat wow. and stuff like that that was like different than what everybody else was using. And I just, I fell in love with that whole process and stuff. And, man, I had been buying bottles and stuff like that. And I was the same way. I had never been inside a distillery. Mm-hmm. And then me and my older brother, Dean, you know, once we, be, once we met and started hanging out, we're like, let's go to Bourbon Fest. And, hey, on the way there, we're going we're gonna to go to Indiana first. And let's go see Alan Bishop. Oh, nice, and that was nice. literally out touring with Alan Bishop. It was my first time in a distillery wow. ever. Wow. And, I, man, I had a blast. Jump
1: right in the deep end there.
0: Yeah, and you got rocket scientist Alan Bishop over there explaining bourbon to you. And, you know, he's the first legal distiller in his family of, like, three, four generations. And he's breaking stuff down. I'm like, man, he. I leaned over to my brother at one point. I'm like, he is speaking Chinese to me right now. Like, I'm just going to keep letting him talk and, like, let him do his thing because... I'm just amazed at all the stuff he's putting out there, but it, that's a whole other world to go yes, down.
1: Have you ever spent any time with Billy out at um, Lone Elm? I um, have not. He is the same way. He had his first life, I think he was in academia, Ph.D. in yeah. organic chemistry and then petroleum Kind of like the LaCarris brothers. Yes. And you want to go down that rabbit hole on all the chemistry involved with liquor mm-hmm. he will go down as far as you want to go yeah where you're just like this is this is too much it's too much so
0: did you just do this so you obviously have to start blending at some point and you're tasting stuff how did you hone in i mean did you just get lucky the first time or how did you get to where you're going to these different distillers you're asking them for barrels. You're trying to find stuff you can blend. You know, we won't get into too specifics of all that, but, like, how did you hone that craft? Because not everybody can go from knowing X amount and actually have a nose and a palate to blend like that.
1: Once again, ignorance was bliss. Um, didn't know what I wasn't supposed to know. And pretty much we knew, and when I say we, me and my wife, my wife and I, Cindy Mosier, um, we started realizing our pallets were pretty much in the high rye bourbon which is predominant with most people and we had to sell something that other people would buy which is also a big seller in the market is high rye bourbons yeah so we knew it was in that realm and we honestly thought we thought starting was we knew it was going to be MGP because we started looking through our own liquor cabinet and the stuff we liked, and everything said Florenceburg, Indiana on it. So it was like, okay. So we have to be involved with MGP at some point on this process. But when we got our first samples from MGP, that's when the rubber kind of hit the road to where it's like, okay, I had this idea in my mind after talking to Barry Yonke at MGP of like, I could buy a six year barrel for 750 bucks. He told me he'd sell me a barrel for 750 bucks. He didn't say it was going to be a new fill barrel, (laughs) and I assumed we would have access to, you know, that six to eight is your sweet spot in the market of bourbon. I mean, the big connoisseurs, we like stuff a little bit older, but the reality is of a good, solid bourbon, six to eight is where you need to be, or at least in my opinion. And so I thought that's what we'd get, and um, we had a hard time finding six-year stuff even at that time, and... The new fill, we got a hold of some two and a half and three that was the MGP 36% rye. And when we tried it, it was like, oh, this is not, we're just not going to be able to put this in a bottle and put our name on it. We have to do something with it. And that was when it's like, okay, what are we going to do? And so I started researching just about every post-processing technique that's out there with multiple barrelings to blending back with something else to all the, the electrical wave stuff that's out there and everything else. Blasting metallic yes, on your barrels. Yes, all
0: that stuff about how we were going to get. You didn't just the, decide to do country music and, you know, play some Stony LaRue or something. Uh, there might be some
1: notes in my notebook of like, <laughs> hey, how about a little Willie for three hours a day? <laughs> See how it helps. <laughs> But none of that, none of it really made sense until it's like, okay, we need to blend back with something. And then I started researching blending. It's like, well, you kind of want to get your base, and then you kind of want to work with other components that are similar to it. And then as we started trying other whiskeys out there, and we know we wanted to be a Texas brand, so that meant we needed to have a good percentage of Texas whiskey in our stuff. So we started checking around other distilleries in Texas and found one that was willing to work with us. And they had it. A good nose, a lot of the stuff you get with the sweeter notes and the nose and the forward palate is the Texas stuff. And the MGP helped smooth everything out and kind of bring it into balance like it needed to be. Um, And I say balance, we're still pretty complex. I mean, we get the sweet and then we get the heavy coffee and then we get the loose leaf tobacco in the middle. And some people may not agree with the sweet and the heavy coffee in the same deal. But If you're a cigar really smoker,
0: well. you're going to like his bourbon. I yeah. can guarantee that it, it definitely pairs well with a lot of cigars.
1: Yeah, yeah. We get that a lot from people. is They are like, well, I want something that's more of a cigar blend. I'm like, you should try our stuff because of the proof and the super strong flavor profiles. I'll stack short it of a, almost almost any cigar out there. <laughs> yeah,
0: short of a few bottles here and there and some other spirits that's about the only bottles i buy anymore is the stuff that's aged in an Ambryana barrel and mm, stuff like mm, that i yeah. love that profile yeah. and you come as close to that as you can without actually doing that yeah
1: no it holds up well and even before the cigar pairing stuff happened we always wanted something that you would know you're drinking old Hansford. you know if you mix it Drink however you want to drink. I don't care. Yeah. If you want to mix it with Dr Pepper all day, fine. But you're gonna know there's old Hansford in that cup also. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know how you would do that, but I mean, yeah. Kudos to you if that's how you like <laughs> to drink it. I, I don't know how. I don't know how you would add even Coke to that, but I'm sure you could. I'm Appreciate sure it. there's somebody that does it. I just, I don't. A lot of whiskey or bourbon, you could see where that profile might fit in. I just don't see it with what you do. But, again, to each their own. Try it if you want. Did you ever uh, play around with, like, barrel aging and putting stuff in different barrels, transferring it to other barrels?
1: We haven't. Our process really doesn't go from barrel to barrel, but we process the two barrels that we do blend together a little bit differently to help bring out notes in one and down, dumb down notes in the other one and then blend them together and do another little process with it. Oh, what it comes down to is a lot of aeration. So what aeration. So what we wanted to do once we found them after about the second batch that, and you know, this most people would drink a lot of whiskey realize that as you get halfway in the bottle, you're, Flavor profiles will start changing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is just a function of the amount of air that it's getting. So what we wanted to do was bring our middle bottle to our top. And so just by running it through an aeration process, just a little bit of filtration, all that, more of that was not about filtering stuff out or taking any of the good out of it. It's just about getting air to it. And that makes a big difference. It's so
0: funny you bring that up and say that. I've, I've mentioned this before on the show, and even once when he was on the show, That's how, that's partially how Alan Bishop and I's relationship started. Because I got into, have you ever had that conversation with Randall Sullivan?
1: No, not with Randy.
0: Okay. I'm just going to throw it out there. Me and Randy, Randy made a post or had a comment with me one time about how letting a bottle air out. So that's, you know, I brought up, you know, how is it that, you know, this, I opened this brand new bottle. I opened it up. First few times I drink it, I absolutely don't like it. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's terrible. I put it back on the shelf. Maybe I don't come back for a month or two. And then I'm like, you know what? Let's give that Let's give that Nine Bandit another try. You know, like I didn't like it this first time. Mm-hmm. But now that I've, me and another buddy or two have tried it, it's set like this for three months. Now I open it up, pour it again. Holy shit, that ain't so bad. I didn't think that was same bottle yep. I, you know until I started taking notes and writing stuff down it got real hard to do that well Randy made a post about how and I think he even did a podcast or two about it about how adding the oxygen doesn't change anything in the bottle and man we went round and round debating that and he ended up having an extra ticket during COVID to uh, Fred Minnick's virtual world, I forget, I think it was Deggy World or something mm-hmm. like that, and it was like a virtual trade show for bourbon guys and stuff, like nice. they had symposiums, and they were all coming in on Zoom, and you could go to the, you'd walk, you created like a little Wii figure, like Nintendo Wii, and your little your little character guy would walk through this virtual world, and you could go to the trade center, or you could go to the virtual hall, and watched them podcast, and then when you walked in, all of a sudden up on the screen is whoever's face is on the Zoom mm-hmm. call and there's speakers. Well, I got one of those tickets to do that, and I was sitting there during COVID. That is trip. a really good idea during COVID. Was, really good
1: idea right now. I'd it worked that. out. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, it worked out for him perfect. I mean, I don't know how long. Fred Mick had been working on that for a while to make that happen and pull that off, but it was amazing, and it was so cool. I had so much fun. Well, one of the first bottles I had had was a – a Spirits French Lick, that that's actually the bottle we were talking about. Because when I first had, I think, it, I want if I'm not mistaken, it was a Matty Gladden. And I had that Matty Gladden. And when I first opened that, I was like, this is rancid. Like, I do not like this. This is not my cup of tea. And my buddy at, at uh, Liquor King, Bradley, was like, man, I think you're going to really like this based on the stuff you like. I was like, man, that's the worst thing you've ever given me, Bradley. I set it back on my shelf, and I pulled it back out again. Well, that next time, I actually liked it. It had opened up, and we started going down that road. And well, I go by, and I see Spirit's French Lick, little trade show booth mm-hmm. in Virtual World. I go over and start talking to this guy. Lo and behold, it's Alan Bishop. We talked for an hour and a half <laughs> to the point he almost missed his town hall meeting at the conference center and he's like, "Hey man, I'll catch up with you later. You know, I gotta go to this thing." I was you kept someone going. talking
1: for an hour and a half. I don't you believe it. I mean? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it
0: does not sound like me at all, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we we <laughs> we went down and did that, and uh, and I I brought that up to him. I was like, "So why why is I mean even with yours, why do you think?" I he's like, "Man, it's oxygen stuff, man. You've you've done this multiple times and let that bottle." cycle through a little bit you're getting more of the fuller picture i mean that's one bottle out of a barrel that was blended together to make thousands yeah. of bottles or a couple yeah. hundred bottles whatever the case may be for that particular one he's like of course as it opens up and you do those things it's gonna have an effect yeah, on and it and i know it's a touchy subject i mean uh, it can someone be. Just can be Two
1: weeks asked me about what I thought about neck pores, and I explained the same thing I just did about the aeration, and I think the oxygen plays into it. And it, it's probably being debated right now. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm,
0: I'm surprised. It's because if we were still on Facebook Live, I guarantee you this shit would be getting blown up right now. The comments would be filled oh, I... with stuff about this.
1: No, it's... Um... I believe it's real, most definitely, and we've changed our process to um, account for it, so take advantage of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you have to. It makes a difference. It makes a difference.
0: Especially when you're blending and you're the small guy, you know, you're out there battling with guys that have multi-million dollar marketing <laughs> budgets and yes, stuff. Yes,
1: uh, When well, You were asking me when this started about um, how we ended up with our final blend and everything, and um, a lot of that ended up being the club's that um, Raymond Taylor with DFW Whiskey Club, I actually work with him on my day job. and um, Oh, really? Passed. Nice. And so we worked up four different blends and then had him and three other guys that he picked do a down select for us. Now, I'm sure at that time they weren't like, nah, this ain't the greatest thing ever, but they gave us an honest, honest accounting of it and told us what they thought. And then we had about... other groups of people, family and friends that we gave samples to, the same four samples, and at the end of the day everybody had picked the same sample.
0: That's got to be reassuring. And that's
1: what became our first batch that we did.
0: So, when you're small like that, how do you manage and try to stay true to that because you're not mass producing and you don't have control consistently over all the barrels you're getting how do, you, how do you keep within that same realm of old Hansford's taste consistently when you are a small guy?
1: I never really wanted to go for a consistency all the way through. I wanted every batch to be its own thing. Okay. I mean, and we don't batch number all our stuff. I mean, I keep yeah. a log of what the proofs are, and I know how many bottles were in that batch. Yeah. And when people ask me all the time, it's like, which batch is this? I'm like, okay, this is – one and a half, and then there was like a three, and this mm. is like a five now, and that sort of thing. Um, it always needed to be enough craft blending, craft distilling, and I still call it craft distilling because of the barrels we do get and stuff and the things we do with it. Um, it need to be, each batch needs to be special. If you get a bottle, it's going to be in the wheelhouse of what Old Hansford is, yeah. but they're also going to be unique onto themselves.
0: That's cool, so, man. I, I, I like that approach because you can't stay within an exact lane all the time because yeah. seasons and everything else are going to give you different, True. different but I mean, stuff. But guys, to be able to stay in a wheelhouse, though, yeah. that's
1: – Yeah, but the big guys in Kentucky, I mean, that's the – when you pick up a bottle of Four Roses regular, it's, it's pretty taste, much the same yeah. thing. I mean, we all know now. Being in the bourbon world that over time with different master distillers and blenders that it starts skewing in different directions like a Jack Daniels from 78 isn't going to taste like a Jack Daniels from 2023 black label
0: it just yeah,
1: it's a whole different animal. It's Jack Daniels, but it's different. Yeah. <laughs> enough that it's noticeable.
0: Yeah, especially if you did a side by side, went to an old yeah. dusty bar, yeah. yeah, you would definitely pick up on that. That's where do you These think are really good, man? You, I really like this, right? It. It's good. Yeah. I mean, like I said, that's one of the first ones that, like, I mean, that thing fermented in the barrel again. Like it, it went through that whole process again, and I think that's what really makes that unique. I mean. Not to mention, I mean, it was a great stick from principle to begin with. Mm-hmm. I actually bought five of them before they put them in the barrel and kept them so that I could smoke them side by side. I smoked one beforehand, went back to it, and it was an amazing stick to begin with, but it's even better.
1: So you said they pulled them at different times? They, they would like pull, they'd like pull a them year. in Texas. They'd
0: pull one at like, I want to say... Uh, You know, I wish Miguel would pop in on here on the chat or something um, or Blake even. Um, Trying to remember. I want to say three months they pulled some and smoked them. They did it again at four or five months. And then at six months, they tried some. They put a little more bourbon back in the barrel Mm -hmm and soaked it again, and then I think what they ended up pulling out was around eight months, and then they pulled it eight months and then just let it do its thing in the humidor for another, I don't know, 30 days at least, let's say, and then they banded them and made them available. So, I mean, they tried them, and they had little tasting panels all throughout that to really find what was working because they... And I think that was kind of the beauty of it and what made it really work too was when they approached the Frakes about it, they're just like, hey, we want to experiment with you. We know what you've done in the past. We know what you guys are capable of doing. Let's just, we have this cool barrel. We have bottles. We'll never be able to reproduce this again. If you get a stick that you think you'll never get again that we can do this with and just... Whenever it's ready, it's ready. We have no set date of it has to be, you know, for this release or it's going with this pairing. And they just did it. And it what you smoke speaks of that.
1: This is really good. And I love that Monster Mash. It was mm-hmm. amazing. I was up there visiting Tim Mule and he I think it may have been the week before it kinda of got released to the public. And yeah, it was like, Hey, this is fixing to happen. He had yeah, the bottle open and I was like, Wow, this is this is an incredible bottle, man. It's something Very special.
0: Incredible. So you talked a little bit about your ignorance in the game probably being something that helped you. What other things do you think really helped you or what good advice did you get early on that helped you Be as successful as you've been to this point with this because so many people, A, don't take that shot, and B, the first few roadblocks they hit, they give up. You've yet to do that, and you're still putting out bourbon, and you're not where you want to be yet. You're not where you thought you'd be, and you've had evolutions and had to tick things back and forward Mm -hmm. to say, all right, now we thought we'd be able to be here, but reality is that's here This is here. You've had to make adjustments on the fly, but what helped you be open to doing that? And I mean, I know you have great support from your wife. She's, you know, partner in crime on this, but what things can you contribute to really helping you with that?
1: I don't know if this is really a help, but more of a realization that I didn't want to accept. is that our distiller, Nick Draghi, down at Texas Tales Distillery, and that's where we blend and bottle at down in Galveston. Early on, he recognized that I was a bourbon nerd, and he was just like, I know how you're just really hung up on what's in the bottle and being into the whiskey, but you, you're a marketer now. You've, you're making a brand, and all the fun part is gonna be a little behind you, And the marketing part's in front of you. And I never really envisioned this as being a marketer, being in sales. I envisioned it as as in being at the distillery and blending whiskey and tasting whiskey and enjoying
2: whiskey. Yeah, people buy my bottle. Yes.
1: Um, That's kind of what I had in my head. And then getting into it, I was like, oh, wow, this is me in front of people selling stuff, which I've never done in my entire life. That's not what my day job is that's not what I've ever done other than being a waiter I guess pitching them yeah specials but it was um it was a realization and I think it helped a little bit that I always had that in the back of my head when the sales stuff was happening it's like Nick told me this was how it was gonna be so yeah you were warned <laughs> and so I didn't take it so hard it's like okay they told me this is Yet. Yeah. So this is what I got to do now. So it made it a little lighter blow, but um, still not my extreme comfort zone. But I've gotten better at it, I think. So, and it's always, been – I mean, when it's your baby, it's easier. Mm-hmm. It's easier to sell. It's easier to do it. You know, um, like when I go to liquor stores and stuff and do tastings, I can move a fair amount of bottles. And there'll be other people that are there, girls, whatever, from dragon spirits or whoever that are doing their thing you yeah know, and they're just like man you're moving a lot of bottles it's like well i'm the owner this is no one could no one can sell it better than i can yeah and they're just like wow we've moved like one or two bottles it's like yeah i moved two cases so <laughs> but i mean that's being the owner and being there and people knowing that and being able to talk
0: yeah one-on-one about
1: everything you. and people stand around and talk for as long as they can about stuff you know. No, that's awesome. The people that are trying our stuff and like it are usually bourbon type people. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, yeah, this is where we want to be. This is where our palate is. So, and that's always fun. Yeah. I enjoy that. I tell people all the time, it's like I spent. The majority of my life sitting around talking about bourbon and not making a dime doing it <laughs> so this is yeah little bit better. it makes
0: it work better yeah i mean i i think you uh you might even have a missed opportunity so far i i think you ought to approach some cigar lounges and go around and uh do some tastings there because like i said true, this true. pairs very well with cigar and i i started off tonight with a Zulu and. That, that would go with this just as well. I mean, I get what you're saying though about marketing because I'm opposite of you. Almost all of my jobs have been sales related and selling. And when I started this podcast, it was a passion and something that I really wanted to do. And I thought I understood social media. And then I found out I didn't know shit about social media like... I didn't even know there was all these background platforms that if you're actually a business or a page, and then you got to do this and boosting posts and hashtags. Like I thought hashtags were just this annoying thing that millennials were doing. Mm. That was just, Oh, hashtag this. (laughs) I, I didn't know that that played a part in, or even what an SEO was when I started doing a podcast, like that was speaking Chinese to me, literally. And now it's like, now I've got to the point where literally next week, see there next week, no, it's the week after next, we'll officially be at one year of doing the podcast. Yeah, yeah, Biz. We're rolling up on one full year of doing essentially an episode every week. Wow. With few exceptions in between i mean we obviously have some weeks where we're off and stuff and doesn't work but a full year and now it's like all right i can't keep paying for this out of my pocket as fun as it is forever Mm -hmm. now i'm having to learn and do the research of marketing the show getting you know more of a following y'all
1: have a patreon site
0: i haven't done that yet we're debating on we a couple need to of different jump things. On that. <laughs> well, there's Patreon and then there's locals that ties in with Rumble. So there's a couple of different things that we're looking at. Um, that's that's coming soon. The website is actually up now. We're we're making a few final adjustments to it, and then there's gonna be some merch soon, which will help. But the going after sponsors and being brand ambassadors for things and you know, the whole adding commercials and advertisements and all that stuff, like that's just such another league from where I didn't even think about that. When it when I first decided I want to do a podcast, I was like, all right, I know this dope producer that can uh, has all this equipment and I, I can get that part done. Like, all right. So I got Biz, we worked it out. This is like, damn, you just pulled the trigger. He's like I'm like, yeah man, we're pulling the trigger. Like I'm going. I'll figure the rest out. But I, now it's getting to the point where it's like, all right, I got to figure some more of this out now because it's like you, I got the bottle, yeah. I got the label, we're going, but now I need to get it on the shelf. Yeah, You know, so it. no matter which side you mm-hmm. come from, I think there's lessons to be learned and lessons to be had that you're going to have to figure out parts that are not your cup of tea or not your strong suit.
2: Let me ask you a question, Howie. So, in the world of social media, all the things we liquor, and there's some restrictions when you advertise stuff, or it's kind of hard to do. Have you been able to find how to kind of swim in this new pool? Or it's about to be an ocean for you. We're but
1: not as aggressive <clears throat> on social media as we should be. Um, I, know, I know a
2: guy. I may have somebody that can help you out with that.
1: Yeah, well... <laughs> We have a girl that does our social media stuff on Facebook and that's really the only thing we're on now and it's linked up to our Instagram site so they they both they both coming right else but um just a backstory on her it was um very interesting because I have a lifelong buddy of mine that runs um Daco Fire in Watauga right there in Keller and um, him and his brother owned this business for quite a while and they had a girl who was working for him that um had a special needs child and was just kind of medium employed and stuff. And he was having the same conversation with his business partners as what you're asking me. It's like, hey, we need to have a bigger social media presence. We need people to do campaigns on Facebook and Instagram and everything else. So we had this girl who was being underutilized and needed to have a better job. So he sent her to school. To do all the Facebook stuff, the campaigns, and all that stuff, and she was loyal to him because he was taking care of her to make sure, here, I'm going to help you better your position in life. Well, I was having a conversation about, with him about starting the brand and needing to be on social media, and he's like, well, you know, Jesse, we sent her to school for all this stuff, and she could leave us tomorrow for probably twice the money, but she's sticking with us. Um, She's looking for stuff on the side too, so got in touch with her and she was the one who started running our Facebook campaigns and stuff. Um, we haven't been as active in it, and I've talked to her about it and we need to get some other stuff going. but what we found with Facebook, although you can do the targeted marketing stuff, and I mean and once she kind of pulled back the curtain was like, "Here's what I can do for you," it was like, "Wow, I can." I can hone this down to advertise to your neighbor if that's what you want. Or within 300 yards of this liquor store in San Antonio with this age demographic and the people that are actually buying your bourbon. And it looked all great on paper. It's like, wow, you're just like, that ad's going to that guy who is known to buy bourbon. Yeah. But what we didn't see is we didn't see the return in sales on those. And those ads weren't crazy. We weren't Spending thousands of dollars. It was yeah. like, here, we're going to run a 30 day ad for 250 or 300 bucks at a very targeted group, but we never saw it turn into legitimate sales. So we're paying Facebook money, but we're not getting the return from it. And that's where it kind of got like, well, is this really working out like it's supposed to? I yeah. mean, it looks great. How on interesting did
0: your comments start getting that were coming in on your page? Did you get to see all, or did she get to see all?
1: Well, she got to see. Yeah, we got to see you. coming in, and it wasn't as.
0: Oh man, I started doing boosts on some. I had I had some guests that said, "Hey, I'll even donate to like boost boost that post," and then I got some free boosts and this and that. I started boosting some stuff, and I guarantee you, this must have had to do with like the target audience or whatever. I tried to edit it, and what I thought was the right thing to do on there. Mm -hmm. Man, did I not do that right? Did it get it kept, more negative, or what? Oh, it didn't get negative. I just had people hitting me up that were the weirdest, non-relevant questions and things like, I had my buddy Vince on here that used to own Universal, that owns well, Universe. that was
1: kind of the thing, too. It's like think, our, our viewership would go up, and we would see that people were looking at stuff. Yeah.
0: But it was... They'd be there for a minute, yeah, two minutes. and
1: it never... It never correlated into sales like we hoped it
0: would. Well, these people were like, they they saw a picture of my buddy Vince that we used as a show promo on his motorcycle, and I had people calling me in, how do I win the motorcycle? I want that motorcycle. That's a so-and-so motorcycle. I want that motorcycle. And I'm like, what from this poster ad <laughs> makes you think I'm selling a motorcycle? Yeah. I mean, it just... It gets kind of crazy, but I can understand where you have to have somebody that is an expert at some of those things.
1: Yeah, and she's really good at stuff. And, actually, we looked at some of the – and sometimes I'm probably over-conservative, not wanting to step over the line on certain things. But I looked at the TikTok stuff and a lot of the things I see on TikTok and how that's going. Yeah, um, But what I understand initially, there was some stuff on TikTok that – kind of frowned upon liquor ads and stuff in there. And I mentioned that to a buddy of mine who is in sales. I was like, yeah, TikTok's probably a better way to go, but I can't put liquor on there. And he's like, I'd follow pages of liquor stuff on TikTok. I'm like, well, their bylaws say this. You know, you don't want to... If you're wanting to use one of these platforms, you don't want to get sideways with them right off the bat.
0: You you can't be too afraid of that, though, because that's going to happen. I mean, we've been... You know, that's why we're on Rumble now, because Rumble is one of the freer free speech platforms that we can... You know, I thought it was ridiculous when I was starting to see, once we got to a point where I was getting more data, the fact that it was showing me that people are coming to the pages, but they're watching for 30 seconds, a minute. All right, well, then we started changing up the first minute or two minutes of the show. You start trying to do little tweaks to, like gain more attention, keep people in longer. And when you start doing those things, but then, like, you're not seeing any results from it, like, good or bad. Yeah. Like, I wasn't losing subscribers. I wasn't gaining subscribers. You know, it's, it's a weird metric that you got to play with there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the fact that we all have, because of the way – the scrolling goes now. Yeah. We all do on Reels and TikTok and everything else. That the attention span is shrinking. I think it used to be like, well, you have to, you can't go over 30 seconds. I think it's, yeah. in my personal opinion, it's probably down to like 15 now. Yeah. Like if I ain't, it didn't catch my attention, I'm just moving. You know, So you have to customize your, your bang to where it's like, boom, here's something that's going to grab you and keep you there.
0: Yeah. You know, I've made the, the, the concession that I'm going to... We're going to do some stuff to put out more shorter content out of the longer content mm-hmm. and put more reels and stuff like that out there. I think that'll help. Um, that's something that we're going to adjust and modify a little bit. But I'm, I'm not going to get rid of doing the long format. Like, I, I just enjoy it. It's what I like. I know not everybody likes or is going to give up two hours to sit mm-hmm. down and listen to me talk, or you talk, or whoever's on here, and, you know, that's fine. Some people do, some people will, and, you know, whether there's a five-minute nugget, a two-minute nugget in here that speaks to you, great. If not, then, you know, that's that's the chance I'm willing to take, because I'm, I'm still going to do what I want. I, I think it to a certain degree, because it's funny, the only knocks I usually get is that I'm trying to be Joe Rogan, and I, I just I think that's hilarious. Like that's funny Joe Rogan said. found a way to do it for two to four hours. I mean, I spent five hours of my life a few weeks ago watching Post Malone on Joe, Joe Rogan, and I watched every minute of it. In between work and whatnot, I mean, I just kept going back to it and playing it, so I wanted to hear what Post was going to say. That's
1: interesting you should mention the Rogan deal because
0: I've never up until – Two
1: nights ago, have I ever watched an entire Rogan podcast, but I've seen a million clips of Rogan podcasts. Yeah. To where I know, I mean, you see enough of them, and you're like, oh, yeah, i got to feel for yeah. how this thing goes, and that's all the goodness out of it. But up until two nights ago, the first time I watched a complete, like, hour and a half or two hours, how long are you? Yeah. And I can see how you
0: doing what you do, how you can't
1: ignore it totally Of doing the reels and the smaller stuff to you have drive, to, I drive mean, yes. traffic back to your full site.
0: Yeah, you have to, because I mean, that's, he's got an entire team that does that for yeah. him that, you know, I've got to do that. Fortunately, AI is creating a lot of amazing stuff. That's we can take advantage of because otherwise dissecting two hours every week of content is a full time job. And, I still work a day job. I, I don't have that kind of time. And I have a wife that I like to keep happy at home that I don't, I, I can't do that. Like there's no way I, even if I took two hours out of my sleep routine, I wouldn't have enough time to do yeah. what you'd have to do to edit and create those clips. Thank God for AI. Cause there's some amazing programs out there that can help you do that stuff.
1: AI is It's very, very amazing stuff. There is a lot of things. I just put my toe in that world maybe a couple months ago just because there was some stuff that came out. It's like, hey, check this out, the chat GP and everything else. And um, started messing around with some of the things it can do, it can do, and it's just – it's scary. <laughs> it is. It's scary. amazing, man. I it's can push amazing, a button but It's amazing but scary at the same time. Yeah. It's
0: I mean, scary. I can push a button on YouTube and it'll uh break down this entire 2-hour episode in 15 seconds. Insight summary, timestamps. I mean, it's insane. Wow. You used to have to like wow. hire somebody in Vietnam at 400 bucks a month to sit and watch your episode and hope that their translation was good and break stuff down and pull clips wow. for you. And, like, wow. now you can do it in 15 seconds for, like, 9.99 a month. I mean, it's absolutely insane. See, that's even more incredible than some of the stuff I've
1: seen. But, yeah, that's – it's
0: – Tell us a little it, bit it, about this Nine Bandit that I just cracked over here oh that okay. you're uh,
1: – So, that Nine Bandit was a pick by the Cowtown Bourbon Club. And – it's an interesting story on the nine band. Had you ever tried any nine band like a year or two ago? They're a Texas, First time. Texas distil- distiller, and um, it's not one that we use, but it's one that we tried when we were looking for barrels to source and everything else, and it just was young. It needed some more time, wasn't quite where it needed to be, and um, the guys over at Cowtown had done this pick in nine band, and I contacted them or James Blackwell over there, and was like, are you serious? You did a nine-band pick? And he was like, Howie, this is not the same nine-band that we tried years ago. This is incredible. And this is a testament to nine-brand distilling and having to take a chance on something because maybe you didn't do it quite right, that they were having... So I hear this is all second-hand information. Okay. They were having a hard time getting stuff off the shelf, getting it sold. And um, I guess their marketing guys and sales guys that are out there pushing product were like, maybe this wasn't ready. We need to do something else. And at that time, they were able to go back and buy a bunch of MGP, older MGP. That's a weeded MGP. And they pulled stuff off shelf, rebranded, put new stuff out, and that's an incredible bottle. I yeah, was I was so in, I was impressed with the bottle. I bought a case of that, but I was more impressed with the story of a company doing that, realizing okay, we weren't quite ready.
0: We screwed and, up,
1: and that's a that's a hard hit. That's yeah. not an easy decision to make. To Pulling like, stuff off the shelf yes, to re Yes, that is hard. Yeah, but they did it, and I think they did the right thing, and it, that's incredible. That's very, incredible. very
0: good. It's very complex for a weeder. Yeah. It's got a lot more character than most weeders do. So what's, what's your background? Where, what, before you did all this, what, what's your background? where did you grow up? What, what, kind of, what kind of background do you have?
1: So I grew up in, well, to tie back into the old Hansford stuff. So I was born in Perryton, Texas, which is at the top of the Texas panhandle, like almost the Oklahoma border so that's why I like I'm, that.
0: I'm from Oklahoma.
1: I'll forgive you just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> We're at in Oklahoma. Claremore. Oh, wow.
0: Way north. north,
1: way north. So, um, that's where my mother's family's from is up there in the top of the panhandle. And, um, I'm from her first marriage. She married, um, a guy from Nazareth, Texas, who was my dad who raised me. And so Nazareth, Texas is a small German Catholic community. Um, very small. Everybody's very German. <laughs> and so that's where I was raised, population 299. It's just like wow. right, sou- right south of Amarillo. They're they're most well-known for the girls' basketball team, the most winning basketball team in the state of Texas, women's basketball team
2: in the state okay. of Texas.
1: They pretty much won state from the time I was in kindergarten until I graduated high school every year like clockwork and kept that alive for, well, even today, so. It's very impressive. But anyway, that's where I was raised. Small town, farm and ranch, community, all that. But the old Hansford name and everything is from Hansford County up in the Panhandle. Um, But Anyway, that's where I was raised. You are asking about where I was from and everything. Nazareth, Texas. And um, came down to UTA to go to college after I graduated, and that's where I met my wife, Cindy. Um, She ended up graduating from UTA, civil engineering. And I bummed around a while. And... um, Finally figured out I had to do something with my life and got a degree in graphic design and um, and graphic design and technology, doing CAD and stuff, designing parts, and then got a degree from UNT. Finally, so awesome. Been in Fort Worth area since yeah, since '89. Yeah, Keller since about '94.
0: Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Married to the
1: same woman the whole time.
0: She's really cool. I enjoy when she comes out to the events. You know, I, I see you at a lot. Of, she doesn't always come to the to the drops, those it's early too morning early in drops, the morning. but I do see her at all the events. Yeah, she's good. She's been real good to me over the years. Well, what's what's the best advice you've been given? Best and it could be personal, or it could be it could be bourbon related too know your
1: worth see too many people that um, don't realize what they're worth or what their product's worth or and they're willing to take a lot less just because they don't realize you're worth more than you think and, um, even when we started the brand that was something I carried into the pricing to where Nick Draghi down at Texas Tales he's like man you need to be like it thirty dollars and I was like, Well, it's gonna gonna be where it's gonna be. You know, I'd like to be at thirty dollars too, and I thought that's where when we started we would be at, but I'm not scared of being at seventy five dollars on a shelf. You know. I could have priced it at thirty and tried to compete against everybody at that range and that's not where I needed to be. You know. Yeah. You have to know what you're worth and you have to make sure you're Priced accordingly, either your personal life, your salary, whatever it is you do with that's, that's worth the you know,
0: $70 bottle. That's not, a, that's not a $30 bottle that, you know, and I think a lot of people miss that mark.
1: Yeah. yeah. Now, that being said, <laughs> to be competitive and sell more product, I need to have a 30 $35 bottle out there. But to your point about good advice, I mean, know what you're worth. I mean, too many people step out in the world and have good skills, have good personality, have good things to bring, but they're willing to take way less because they're in a bind or not willing to wait it out just a little bit and get what they're really worth out of it.
0: You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think it would hurt you to have a $40, $45 bottle out there. I don't, I don't think $30 is where you want to be when you're, when you're a small guy. I just, yeah. to me, that's a very large distiller that is, you know, able to put that out there based mm-hmm. on the quantity of what they're producing yeah, yeah i don't think when you're when you're blending and you're a non-distiller producer i don't think you want to be a 30 dollars bottle no i think you want to be a 40 i think you want to have something in the 40 to 50 dollars range and then if you have a 70 75 bottle that maybe is a little more special with something a little extra you know put that out there i don't think I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's my ignorance in this, but as a bourbon connoisseur and somebody that collects bourbon, that's the two places I would see being good avenues. Yes, and
1: sometimes it come, It turns into a situation where people may not respect what you're producing if you lowball yourself. You know, it's like, yeah, Here, okay, I'm just trying to sell, i got to sell some bottles, so I'm going to lower the price down to $35. And people are like, well, there's all this stuff comparable to you. But if you're like, hey, you know, I'm a $75, or even I'm a $225 bottle, it's like, oh, that's, well, that's something else. And you've seen so many 200-plus yeah, bottles out there in the world that people yeah. are like, oh, look what I got. It's like, oh, that really ain't yeah. good. But people buy it just on that. I'm not saying we, that's not where we want to be, just putting a dollar amount on something that's not worth it because our margins are reasonable. We, yeah. We're not getting rich on this right now, I'll tell you that. You know, it's like once you add up what we had to do to produce that bottle, our replacement cost, and a little margin on top of it, this is where the price is. Yeah. And the three-tier system in Texas just – It's a pain in the ass. People take a lot. I mean, I get the smallest margin of the the three of us. I get the smallest margin of everybody. Of course. And that's just
0: the way the cookie crumbles. But, you know – Like you said, though, too, I don't think you don't want to be the other end of that, too, because when Sweetens Cove came out with Peyton Manning, I mean, I couldn't believe that people were paying that. I mean, it was $250, $300 a Mm -hmm. bottle, and it was openly known that that was dickle juice. It was openly known. Like, they didn't Mm -hmm. hide it. They put that out there. It was open. But there's... 15 year dickel, the same exact juice in a dickel bottle for a third of the price. Why, did, like, do you just want a bottle that I mean, it's not like it was autographed or had his picture on or anything? It said Sweetens Cove. It was a pretty sexy bottle. I mean, it had good, good marketing, good, good labels. Yeah. But you're going to pay three times over. To have Peyton's bottle versus Dickel's bottle, that made no sense to me. But then, you know, you saw somebody like Terry Bradshaw that stayed in that $40 bottle range. What's
1: the name of Bradshaw's brand?
0: Uh, it's Bradshaw. It's, Bradshaw? Uh, yeah, and it's got the well, however many Super Bowl rings he's won oh. or whatever on it. And it's like... It's like Bradshaw 5 or something like that. I've never tried any of that. Is it's he, he good. Really? It's actually really good. I was absolutely shocked when I had it, especially at the price point. But he did it. and I mean, I listened to him go on a podcast and talk about it, and I, I can't stand Terry Bradshaw, the sports commentator, <laughs> or the quarterback. Like, I'm not a Steelers fan. I'm a, I'm a what fan about of Terry the
1: f- Bradshaw, the man. How's he <laughs>
0: Terry Bradshaw, the man and the actual the bourbon guy. And when he sits down and talks and he's not doing his show stick, absolutely a fan of. But that his commentating, I, I'm, I'm out on that, like absolutely out on that.
1: So who's distilling for him? You know,
0: I don't know off the top of my head, but I can tell you, like I had batch one was OK, Batch two was phenomenal. And then I think his third and fourth batches I got to try, I don't own, but they were all I mean, he's just steadily making progress. No, that's good. That's of good. putting out something consistently good, staying in his yeah, price man. point, and I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan, so like I wasn't I wasn't gonna <laughs> fall in love with a Steelers Nation. You know, bourbon, let alone something Terry Bradshaw has put out. But I will say, I'll give him his props. It's good. He did his research. He partnered with the right people. And it wasn't about just putting his name on a bottle at the end of the day, where I think a lot of these guys get really mm-hmm. caught up in that, and they're just yeah. putting their name on the bottle. Yeah, you see a lot of that. A lot of that.
1: But it also sells bottles, though. You get a good name It does. you.
0: You got to have the marketing. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the worst advice you've been given? Cause you seem like somebody that like takes it with a grain of salt, but like you're not afraid to take chances. You're gonna take the shot. I mean, you've proven and shown that. Uh-huh. What's the time? You got some really bad advice, and you're glad you didn't follow it, or you you know you turned a turned a cheek to that one. That maybe you didn't mm-hmm. let that like steer you down the wrong path.
1: I think some of it maybe it's too hard. Take the easy, safe path. Yeah. That seems like good advice when things are dicey, but ultimately, it's better to go ahead and take the chance and do stuff. I mean, granted, I've lived a pretty safe life. I've taken good calculated risks and been successful doing it. but if I would have taken bigger chances earlier in life, may it worked out, may it not. But if I'd taken them, who knows? Who knows?:
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you always got to look at it that way and, you know, decide, you find the value in it. True. You know, True. Do, is this something I'm going to roll the dice on? Is there enough positives that outweigh the negatives? Are the negatives so loud? But sometimes you got to turn the negative noise out. And yeah. sometimes yeah. it's that sweet ignorance you talked about earlier yeah. that, hey, this is a passion of mine. I'm going to find a way when you put your boots on the ground and really go after it, you can make some things happen. And just because it didn't work from for one person doesn't mean it can't work for you. True, true, true.
1: And I try to tell that to my kids. I got two boys, one's 21, one's 19. And I try to And it's a lot easier to say these things when you're 50 something years old. It's like, "Go ahead and take risks, do stuff." And they're like, I'm trying to make gas money. It's like, yeah. what do you mean take risks? Yeah. I, I get it, but you'll have opportunities and maybe you should go ahead and take those risks. Go ahead and see. You're young enough, you'll recover. Yeah. And when you're when you're young, you don't think you don't see that future in front of you. It's like, you got a long life in front of you. You can make some mistakes and recover. And not that I didn't make mistakes when I was young. They weren't good business mistakes, they were just general life mistakes. Yeah. But you make some good business mistakes when you're young. Hopefully, they pan out. Maybe something happens good for you. If it's not, you can still recover.
0: You can you still recover. Time, you
1: know, yeah, that. Years old. You may not recover from it. So yeah, it gets to be a lot harder <laughs> the older you
0: get. You know, that's like my younger brother. He he lives a different life. I mean, he doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have kids. He travels. He you know he used to live in California. He now lives in Maui. I mean,
1: he didn't get burned up, did he?
0: No, nope. He was. If you drew a triangle around the three big fires that were out there, Lahaina, the one on the road to Hana, and the one in the sugar fields, he is dead center of that.
1: Wow, good for him.
0: So he he dodged a bullet there. He still had to deal with a lot, but you know he gets to take some of those risks. You know. You know, if there was one thing I was going to go back and do, I would have taken a lot more risks when I was younger. I had a whole lot of ideas, but I didn't execute on them. And I think that's the one looking back. Like if you see this younger generation, they are scared shitless to take a risk because all they do is sit inside and play on these computers and stuff. And like they have a different set of knowledge than what we had. And I think it's it depends like you on the
1: kids you run into. I mean, I know, got, but a
0: lot of them, I don't think, take the risks. Like they, they're they're afraid to take the shot, and they don't realize like you failing while you're at home with mom and dad, or you know, you here got the biggest
1: safety net in the world underneath you.
0: Exactly.
1: Go for it. <laughs>
0: yeah, go for it. You don't have much to lose. The biggest thing you're going to get is you failed, but you're probably going to learn a shitload from that. Yes. And what is. you learn could be that thing you needed to learn to make that next idea really take off and grow or be that next thing for you. So I always want to encourage people to take those risks, especially when you're younger, like go for it. You don't have a lot to lose. Like you said, you have time to recover. Like what you think is a huge defeat then in a year, two years, five years, it's going to seem like a pebble in the story of your story yes yes most definitely
1: yeah but there's i mean i come from a really good family i mean up until several years ago i was the only one that had like a regular job everybody else ran their own businesses did stuff my sister my brothers and stuff and when we have family get-togethers our children now get to hear these stories they see people that that have businesses, that are Mm -hmm. running stuff, that are doing things. And it gets it in their head. It's like, hey, you know, there's more than going to work and getting a paycheck from somebody doing it. You can do that. I still do it today. You know, that's my safety net. But there's opportunities out there. There's stuff. And now there's people in the family and family friends and other people, people in the bourbon community, which is huge. You'd be shocked how many times I have conversations with people in the bourbon community about, like, hey, will you talk to my son about this or that? You know, you run this or you work in this field or whatever. It just expands the network in a good way, not a sleazy, Mm -hmm. sketchy, political kind of way. But, you know, towards, like, you know, there's stuff out there. You can do things, you know. And this is how – and not only can you do them, here's how you do them. Yeah. Here's how you get financing, here's how you set this up, here's how you cover your aff- trademarks and patents and all this stuff to keep it working. I mean, I was on a little trip to Tollaride last weekend with my two brothers and um, we had an amazing conversation about business and stuff and it made me rethink about some stuff I had been doing. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe I need to change some stuff up. You know? You're right. You know? it was, it's a healthy conversation. And it helps you out as a businessman, as a person.
0: There's nothing better. I mean, I remember you just talking about this. It's making me want to go back and watch it again. I took a little bit of heat for having Randall Sullivan on my show. You know, it was one of those that like just because just and I mean he's a great guy. No, I love Randy (laughs) to I went to high school with Randy and his wife. Like, I love Randy Mm -hmm. to death, man. I don't get caught up in the bourbon drama of all that shit. But there's bourbon drama. Bourbon groups are like teenage girls and boys. Like yeah. they have all kinds of drama. I got- did. A lot of the, a lot of the drama
1: that's gone on in the past year seems to have kind of died down a lot.
0: Oh, a lot of it's died down because everybody in the bourbon game is struggling. Everybody's doing what they can do, yeah. and they're trying to rely on their core. So yeah, now fortunately, a lot of that shit died off and. It's not in everybody's face anymore. It's not, it's not as competitive as it was. Before, the bourbon groups were almost like drug dealers. I mean, it was like, don't come and try to do a pick at my store. And, you know, this and that. I mean, that was real shit during COVID and right before and right after COVID. Like, these guys went at each other because, like, they all wanted to be the biggest and the best at whatever it was they were doing. You know, and, you know, again, where I was going with that was, you know, Randy has had a very, has a one or two very successful podcasts and and groups, and Randy's involved in multiple businesses.
1: What's his podcast called? Bourbon Real Talk. That's Real Talk, Real Talk.
0: And then he has, you know, he started the charity for his brother that passed. I mean, he Randy does so many good things. Like, I mean, I'm just, I'm always impressed by what Randy does. Like, he's got two kids, two young adults. I don't know how he finds time to do all the shit he does. Because me and my wife talk about all the time. We don't have kids. I don't know how half of my friends do the shit that they do with kids. Like, I legit think God blessed us at this point. With not having kids, because I don't know how we would manage it all. Like, I mean, I know when it's yours, you find a way. But before I get too long-winded on this here, Randy, literally on this show, like, we had a great podcast. And this was probably at the midway point for me. We were probably halfway through season one. Oh, no, probably at the end of season one. Maybe early part of season two. Like. Out of all the podcasts we've done, we were at the halfway point. And I asked Randy lots of questions, like, how how did you grow it? How did you keep it going? Like, I mean, I don't have a product I'm selling for, say, like, you know, I'm not, someone say whiskey. I, I'm not, I'm not, or DFW Whiskey Club. I'm not one of those guys where, like, I'm trying to promote my group, so to say. You know, like, I'm not doing picks. I'm not doing this kind of stuff. But how did you grow that and, like, get past that point where it's, like... And, and I remember I actually was at Randy's house the day it happened. And he was, like, holy shit, I just checked my YouTube. And I'm, I'm jumping up at, like, thousands of viewers. Wow. Like, went from hundreds to thousands. And What's he's, like, what happened? four and a half, five years in. And it's, like, he's, like, you got to be persistent. And, like, he gave me a shit ton of advice. We probably talked for another... It was a two-hour episode. We probably talked for another 45 minutes after the show. And he gave me... He gave me so much advice and had me sitting there so beside myself that Biz and I talked for another 45 minutes after he left. And, like, I was damn near ready to, like, scrap everything. Like, I was just like, fuck this. We've been doing it all wrong. Like... Like just, I mean, everything I was like, and you know, Randy, the, what, the really good piece of advice Randy always gave me is like, just keep doing what you're doing and be open to change. He's like, because what you start out thinking this is going to be is not what it's going to be completely in the end. There'll still be pieces of what you thought it was going to be in the beginning, but it'll be different in the end. That's a He's very like, recurring theme of people who
1: do stuff. Yeah. It's like, this may not have been how you envisioned it, but mm-hmm. this is where you at. This is where you're at. This is your customer base.
0: These are yeah. your people
1: now. You got to evolve. You you may have thought it was a whole different group, but it's actually this over here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and don't discount that like you got to pay attention to those things like but he just he gave me so much good insight and advice that like I mean, I was just I was blown away. And you know, we've tried to adapt a lot of those things and like we're still doing that. And like I'm definitely bullheaded, you know, like I still am like, I'm still going to do certain things my way. Like come hell or high water, you know, like, but I am seeing things now and I'm like, all right, I got to tweak this a little bit here. I got to tweak that. But I think that's part of the process. I mean, you're, yeah, but it's your you've baby. About,
1: it's your baby, right? You still get to make the call on yeah. how it goes. I mean, I'll do, There's certain things, certain things I'll never let go of just because, but I'm willing to, Consider a lot of stuff,: Yeah, and know? grow. Yes. But
0: I love that positive criticism, and actually, it drives me more nuts when people don't comment or don't say anything mm. versus when I do get the comments. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yes, like, yes. I can take some negative criticism and and/or some positive criticism. you know, like I had a guy reach out to me that I couldn't believe the first post I got, and I read, I read it probably 10 times that morning. And then I, when I reached back out to him, at a certain point, he quit responding to me. He was reached out to me because he coaches guys on podcasts. But what he, what he failed to do was when I started putting it to the hammer on him, he started questioning me back. And I was like, all right, that's really good. But hold on, let's go back. What podcasts have you done? What podcasts have you coached? And he was just like, oh, I'll send that to you. I'll send it to you. I was like that was a terrible pitch, man. And like, I'm never gonna follow up with you again. But that very first message where he's like, I listened to the first five minutes and this, 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 and this is wrong. Like, what if it was the first time I tuned in and I never heard X, Y, Z. And I was like, you know what? You've got excellent points, excellent points. Now, Now, where are you going with this? Like, and then that's when it fell apart. But there's a lot to be said about just taking the shot and then being open to evolving and adapting mm-hmm. a little bit, because it's going to take twists and turns that you don't expect.
1: That was one of the things when we first got started. Um, we had a guy from Denton that got a hold of one of our bottles, and he wasn't he wasn't on social media. None of this stuff probably wasn't even doesn't even have internet connection. But he was really big into whiskey. <laughs> saying a lot about Denton, Denton right <laughs> now, Howie. Well. He's just one of those guys. It's like, I just don't do that stuff. But he was really big into bourbon. And uh, we had a common friend who was like, this guy's really into bourbon. Gave him some of your stuff. He'd love to talk to you. So he got my phone number, and we talked for hours about bourbon and stuff. And um, he was really big into Iron Root. and He had brought a bottle of our stuff, our first batch to Iron Root, to Jonathan and um, Robert up there. And... um, he was just super hyped about it, and he was also... Fo- he, okay, he did follow YouTube. Okay. So the only thing he did, and he followed the... Um, is it the Whiskey Tribe, the guys down there at um, Fang and Feather or whatever down in Austin? That's Hilarity new one for me. Was. I don't know about that one. The whole guy. You're not familiar with them? No. Nope. like 20,000 people following like every episode. I'm sure. So he sent them a bottle. So back up a second that... um. Talking to Robert and Jonathan, when we first got started, they'd already heard about us and we were at a tasting over in Weatherford with the Shreks that run Shreks Liquor there. And it was at like Fire, Firebirds or some little place over there. And so yeah. Iron Root guys were doing the tasting and everything. And we, me and Cindy went over there to see the whole deal and enjoy the evening. And um, Robert came by the table and I was like, my name's Howie Mosier. And he was like, oh, you're old, old, old Hansford. We got this guy who brought us your bottle and blah, 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 and get people at the table with us. were are like, who the hell are you? <laughs> it's like, well, we own this brand and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I got to talking to Jonathan later about that as we had just started, and he was like, "You talked about advice earlier. He's like, if I can give you any advice, when you start getting the negative comments, and you will, just roll with it. Don't react to it. Yeah. Just take it for what it's worth, the good out of it you can, and go with it. And I thought that was pretty good advice from him. And we started getting some negative comments. The same guy gave him the bottle and sent the stuff down to Whiskey Tribe. It took him about nine months until they actually reviewed the bottle because they have people just sending bottles all over the country. Oh, sure. And it was brutal. It was brutal. But it makes you appreciate where you are and what you need to do. So if you take the good out of it, yeah, you something have you can to. learn from, but it, yeah. it was, it was tough, you know? And I, I try not to react. I mean, you're going to react. You feel something. It's your baby. It's what yeah. you do. You know, you can't feel, if you don't feel anything about it, you're probably in the wrong business, but reacting to it or getting in confrontation with someone about yeah, it, is it going to help your it. position whatsoever? No. So take the good out of it and you don't need to adjust to every guy that tells you, Oh, I don't like your stuff. But if you hear it enough, it's like, well, okay, maybe yeah. there's a few things we need to tweak here to make this a little bit you got to stay sometime. open-minded. Yes. I
0: yes. mean, you got to tell you with a grain of salt. Yeah. I mean, I, I try not to immediately after a show look at comments or stuff like that. Like, if I see it during the show, I'll acknowledge it, I'll, I'll watch it, I'll follow it. And then, obviously, we drink on this show, and some of my guests I get really sauced with. I mean, there's been some times we've gotten pretty hammered. We're so doing I, pretty good. We're Maybe. doing pretty solid. Now, before you put oh, anything
1: man. else, I brought the white dog. All, all right, all right. right good, I've been so. trying to so I'm
0: say that for the very end. Little sips. Yeah. Little sips. Yeah, so. white dog will light you up. Okay. But, you know, I try, I always wait till the next day. You know, like, no. even I, I've made that a habit, too, that if I get a comment or a message, don't be insulted. I might not respond to you for 24 hours. It's usually because I'm processing whatever your comment or message is. I am going to respond, or I'll like it, or I'll I'll at least do something. I'm not going to just leave it there as nothing. The only exception would be all of you that posted on the Frenchie Baptiste. I mean, because half of you were in French. I have no idea what the hell you said. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some of it, it translates and makes sense. And some of the people you're asking about and talking about, I have no idea who the hell that is. You know, like I know him from here in Texas. Don't know all the stuff over in France. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't even have anything I can say about some of the questions y'all ask me on there. That's why that's the, probably the most uncommented, unresponded podcast I have on there out of all the ones I've done. But that's a good way to
1: get in an international incident right there. Dude, you? I'm he meant this. telling and Here
0: you. we go. <laughs> yeah, because, like, legit during the show, I turned and showed him my screen because I was like, everybody's – and it's like 4 a.m. in France. He's like, oh, it's just a bunch of drunk people, you know, coming home from the bar, mm-hmm. haters that are getting on here talking trash. Wow. Okay, so I disregard. But now that that episode's posted and reloaded and up on all the different platforms – and different ones are translating different ways. And, you know, I can see a lot of those comments. I'm still on 60% of them. I have no idea what y'all are talking about. Like, I have no knowledge of that. To me, that's his past life. I don't know. I don't know if he did, didn't, whatever. But we had a good time on the show. And I think a lot of the information and knowledge he dropped was good. Don't agree with everything he said. Don't disagree with everything he said. That happens a lot, and you have to kind of draw those lines. But, again, most of it, it's take it with a grain of salt, give it 24 hours, think about it, and then have a response. I'm not going to respond. I mean, obviously, if it's something good, easy, yeah, you might catch me. I might respond Mm -hmm. earlier. I might pop in there, do something. But, you know, you can't can't let all that. Because if I paid attention to every little negative thing, I'd make no progress going forward. Yes, I mean because people people have ten times as many negative things to say as they do good things. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get as much positive or good criticism as you'd think. You just get a bunch of you know whatever. I got yeah. a lot of most of it's just nonsense. I mean, but, you don't need
1: to surround yourself by nothing. But yeah, it's good to have positive people around you that are supportive. But you don't need people you don't need to be surrounding yourself with yes men. They're like, yeah. you're, you're doing awesome. You're doing awesome. It's like, yeah. why ain't this working? You're yeah. doing awesome. It's like, well, wait a second.
0: <laughs> that's one good thing. We still don't get I mean, other than that one episode, I can't think of one where we really get a lot of that. I mean, where do you guys because I know you're not big on social media. I mean, you have somebody that helps you handle yeah, that a little bit. We get our Facebook. Where page do you get right. a lot of your feedback? And how do you process that?
1: <clears throat> we get a lot of it from <laughs> groups, whiskey clubs, people that we do tastings with at liquor stores and stuff, you know, they'll tell us. I mean, we're yeah. pretty honest. It's like, nah, it's not my thing. Ah, fine. It's fair. You know, you get anything else to add? You know, something constructive. But, yeah. you know, that's pretty much is it, it. This you know.
0: is not moving well on our shelves or, oh, you did. know.
1: Well, this has
0: been a very, I
1: mean, we're in year three of being on shelves and this has been a pretty slow year
0: it's a tough year for everybody i know i know i mean i don't think that's just bourbon for
1: for small batch like we are and small producer it's even harder because people only have x number of dollars to spend on whiskey and they're buying old faithful all the time you know yeah here's my maker's mark here's my jack you know I, i don't have money to risk on something else to see how that's going so it's been rough but we're fixing to move into the October, November, December are the three big months for bourbon.
0: If you didn't know,
1: that's well, that's the primary sales months. Yeah. So we're moving into the prime time. So hopefully we'll make up for it in, in part of this year. I think
0: you will. And I you know, I don't do a lot of endorsements or you know, really put a lot of things out there a majority of the time. But I'm gonna go back through this one with you guys real quick. So it's old Hansford. It's Cast Strength Bourbon Whiskey. That's what the label looks like. You guys can find this here locally. Most of you, the majority of you that are on here, have access to this. If you're in Canada and you're coming to the Myrtle Beach trip, and y'all yeah, want
1: me this Cast to... Cartel. We're sold on Cast Cartel. On All right.
0: Cast Cartel. You can find it on there as well. So check out Cast Cartel. Any of you guys coming down from Myrtle Beach, you want me to bring this, because I know there's a bunch of cigar smokers on there, let me know. I'll bring you some bottles. But this is coming in at about 123 proof, roughly just under. It's uh, at least two years old. I'm telling you right now, if you like cigars, especially something in the medium to bold range, this is going to pair excellent with it. So we're coming up on the holidays here soon. If you have a friend, a coworker, a boss, somebody you know that's into bourbon and also likes cigars, give old Hansford a shot. You're not going to be disappointed. It's something different than what you're getting on the shelf. And if they are a bourbon person or a cigar person and people know that about them, I can tell you because I am one of those people, you get real tired of people trying to guess and buy you a bottle because nine times out of ten, they don't get that right. They go ask somebody at Total Wine or Specs or something, and they refer them to some bullshit bottle (laughs) or something that any one of us could walk in the store and buy any day of the week. Go with something a little more unique that maybe you learned about. Buy somebody an old Hansford. You know, go with something a little bit different because you're probably going to turn them on to something that they didn't know about and that they're going to like. You know, give them an opportunity to try something new. That's what I would recommend, and that's where I would go. If I was trying to find something for somebody that is a cigar smoker and is a bourbon fanatic, give them something a little different. It You know, it's not so different that they're just going to be like, what the hell did you give me? It's not like some crazy grain or corn that's going to totally throw you off your rocker. It's something that's going to fit right in their alley for the most part and be something that compares to a cigar blend or something that they're trying to chase. So that's my recommendation right there. And... If you can find this pick, I, I don't know. Again, this is the first time I've had Nine Banded. he told the story. If you could find this pick and you're a weeder, I highly recommend this. It's very good. It's complex. It's not real plain Jane like a lot of weeders are. So this is different. I'll have to try more of their stuff to be able to give you any more of a review than that. But this particular one from Longhorn... And it's a uh, Cowtown Bourbon Club. This is solid. Old Foragers. I didn't pour <laughs> this. I've had this. A lot this of This is a local's pick. <laughs> this is a local's pick, just like the cigar that I brought Howie over here that he's been enjoying. That's one of their picks. It's an Old Forster. Didn't that
1: work out well? I brought a bottle of Forager. You get the cigar. <laughs> yeah,
0: man. You, you did it right on that one. I'm going to try the White Dog here in a minute. All right, so we're nearing the end of the show here, and we have some standard questions we ask everybody. So it's time to grill you a little bit. All right, grill away. Are you ready for this now? I'm ready. If you could leave your two boys with one piece of advice, what would that advice be?
1: Take chances and follow your dreams.
0: Can't go wrong there. Can't go wrong there. All right, before we get to the other one, the real important one, tell me a little bit about your white dog. Okay, so
1: this may take a little bit more, longer than you want. but No, that's fine. So, we got
0: time. We got plenty of time.
1: So here's what happened in the bourbon world last year. <laughs> So, we're, since we're a small non distilling producer and we um, buy stuff from MGP and we're not under contract for like thousands of barrels, pretty much call up, say, hey, we need to buy a barrel or two um, for our next batch. We called up the beginning of 2023, like, we need a couple more barrels. And that's 165 proof. That's why, <laughs> dog. It's good. <laughs> That's, what, that's what you
0: know, no, what you're going to No, with. just come smell it. <laughs> come on, get your ass up. <laughs> you just got to smell it. Oh, I want to see your reaction.
2: It's like in a handwritten bottle. You
0: already know this. Yeah, you went to the yeah. distillery or you don't have No, that's right
1: off that batch we did. So the reason we have that it's right like now. It's smelling salts. Just put a little on your finger. It'll give you a taste. You yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you could. Legitimately. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so last year, we called up MGP. We were like, we need to get some barrels. And they're like, yeah. we got nothing to sell you. Everything is under contract. There's no more aged bourbon. We might be able to find you some new fills at probably $500 more than what was quoted a year prior. Whew. So that turned into... We have to figure out how we're going to make this work for us because MGP may not be a valid source anymore moving forward. Oh, man. So through our connections in the industry, we were able to find barrels to get us through this year, and it led to we've got to go ahead and distill our own stuff to work with. The other distillery in Texas we work with have enough to get us through for several years, and we can get contracts with them to – sure that up going forward but it was like wow okay we didn't think we're gonna be distillers but here we are so we did six barrels back in March and we may do another four by the end of the year we'll see and then we'll continue to feed our pipeline moving forward and so since we had to replace the MGP 36 percent rye we took their exact same mash bill and that's MGP, or that's the same mash bill as 30% rye MGP. Now, this is made with MBS grains from Denton, Cut. which most of the brewers use and most of the distillers use here in Texas. Well, at least I know some of them do. Um, and so we did this down in Galveston, and this, what, in three years, maybe three and a half, depending on how things go, this is what's going to become maybe a smaller, a cheaper value product.
0: And will also be used in blending our old hands for moving forward. All right. I'm glad I saved this thing because I'm going to be speaking Chinese after this. <laughs> I mean,
2: it, it punches you right in the middle of the chest, but it does have a good taste. See, that's where you the know taste you got to with. The taste is very unique. That taste is, I mean, I took a way smaller sip than you did, but the taste is sitting on my palate. It's actually flavorful once you get past getting body slammed. Oh,
1: yeah. Okay. All that ethanol is super heavy. Oh my but God. once you kind of strip that away and get to the flavors right,
2: of it, it's, right. it's flavored E eighty-five.
0: I that I just took the first sip. I couldn't get past the nose. Cause that <laughs> ethanol. Yeah. That shit'll kick you in the nuts. But now real do you taste fast. But
2: now? Do you have the flavor sitting there that you've gotten past that point?
0: Yeah. It gets past it real fast. Like I really like you can taste the rye strong. The only thing That's confusing me is I know who you blend with. And I don't like black licorice. You getting black licorice in that? I got black licorice off that. Is that what balances out that other funky flavor that you Mm. and I talked about before the show? Does Does that come into your...
1: No, if you're getting black licorice, it will not... In my opinion, it won't... I mean, this is essentially... MGP's
0: thirty six percent mash bill
1: and I don't know if I've I've never had
0: white dog of MGP's mash bill until now. Where are you getting this
1: licorice note from? Are you getting it like at the front pallet or the back pallet? Back.
0: I mean it fades real quick. I mean, I get it real instantly off the back, like right as it hits the back, and then it fades out real fast. And then it's very chocolatey, malty.
1: I know what you're talking about, yeah.
0: I mean, it it just hits you that one instance, and it goes away.
1: I don't think that's going to find its way all the way to the end product.
0: I don't think so either, but I was just wondering if that's one of those notes you look for. I, I know I can't say it, so I'm trying to dance around it, but with whom you blend with, there's a very distinct taste that I don't prefer, but you've always been able to blend that out. Yeah, I don't think that. that I don't that, think
1: that even that little bit of licorice right there is going to do it. It's more, of a, it's more of an overpowering blending. It's okay. Like, okay, because we, we use a lesser percentage of our Texas stuff than the MGP, because yeah. that's what overcame it. We okay. Had to add more MGP to get on top of it.
0: Okay, all right, man. That's that's super interesting. That that almost took me down a path that I that Alan Bishop took me on with Groot. Have I ever told you about the Groot? Oh, the Groot bottle y'all did. No, Groot. So Alan Bishop. I'm gonna tell the story real quick because we gotta get off here in a minute. But Alan Bishop sent me a bottle just like this, two of them, and all it said on the front was Groot, and I'm like, all right, what the hell is Groot? Like, I'm not a bourbon idiot. I don't claim to know everything about bourbon, but I'm not an idiot. Alan Bishop sent me this. And he's like, "Just try it." And I brought—I invite my older brother Dean over. I'm like, "All right, you and I are going to do this together." He's like, "All right." Well, I made the mistake of smelling it. Like, kind of like what, <laughs> I had the same reaction that I had there, but way worse, way worse. It smelled like a dirty bottle of mezcal Ooh. in Cancun Ooh. at a senior graduation party. I mean, it—it it was terrible. And I was like, I don't know that I can drink this now. I I really, I think I'll gag if I, I mean, the smell was that bad. And my brother was like, oh my God, you're right. I mean, like you couldn't have described that any better. (laughs) And I'm like, man, I don't know how we're going to do this. I, I, I can't not try it. Alan sent it to me. So we take it. Man, the minute we taste it, it's some of the best shit I've ever drank in my life. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. But the nose, like, I was, was there that? like pinching my nose and like taking the taking the sip. But the uh, nose was that the terrible? nose was terrible, terrible. When the bottle first opened, after a while it wasn't as bad. But then like tasting it, it was absolutely amazing. And I was like, all right. I looked up Groot. Groot was what the Vikings used as hops for their beer back in the day before there were hops, right? So, So you take the the Groot. Is
1: it in the hops family? I mean. Kind of,
0: yeah. It's kind of in the hops family. And so, I I finally had enough. I called out. I'm like, Bishop, what the fuck did you do? Like, this is the worst smelling, best tasting shit (laughs) I've ever had. And I've already almost drank both (laughs) bottles. Like, and I need more, by the way. I'm going to (laughs) send you some more Iron Root because he loves (laughs) Iron Root. I'm going to send you some more Iron Root. Send me some more of that Groot shit. Man, he's like, well, all right. So he goes over the group thing. I was like, yeah, yeah, I got that part. But this isn't, like, beer hopsy. Like, Mm -hmm. this is, like, white dog. Like, he's like, no. So if the Vikings were that fucking smart, he's like, what if the Vikings decided to make their own whiskey? He's like, so, remember that shit I did out on the farm with the stones and the fire and the mash and the brew Mm -hmm. and all that? It's like, yeah, I made Viking Groot. He's like, then... I decided to distill it because the Vikings were smart enough to do that. Why weren't they smart enough to distill it? Vikings knew how to distill. The, and the he climate, just, the climate. It's
1: too cold. It, takes, yeah, it, it would but, take him 100 years to get anything worth But that's what he did.
0: he did. And he did it in winter in Indiana and distilled Groot. Okay. And he's like, put it in my basement, yada, yada, yada. That's Groot, Viking mm. whiskey. I was like, holy shit. All right, make some more of that shit. Send me some more. Next time you have a batch coming out, I better be first on your list to get some more Groot.
1: Do you ever do anything else with
0: it? Yeah, he's got more. I should have some more Groot sometime okay, soon. Okay, you piqued my interest now. Yeah, yeah. When I get the next bottle of Groot, I will definitely have you over and share some uh, with you. Like it, It's amazing. But, like, man, that was some uh, weird shit. Weird.
1: That is amazing. I mean... It doesn't make any sense. nose, and it tasted...
0: Phenomenal. Angry. Phenomenal. Uh-huh. But it literally smells like soured mescal. That just sounds bad. It that sounds, sounds bad. bad. It sounds terrible. And I don't have the greatest nose. Like, I either can't smell it, or I really smell it. Like, it's one or the other. I have no in-between. I've broken my nose too many times. Uh-huh. I've had two reconstructive surgeries, it's one or the other. Yeah, see, it still like goes like that. Yeah, it's still jacked up. Yeah, we won't get into that. <laughs> All right, before we wrap this up, the last big question. Show's called Common Sense. You shared a lot of common sense with the folks tonight, but it's your last chance. Something you didn't get to say, something you wish you would got to say, but you get to share... Your two cents of any common sense you want with the good people that are watching the show.
1: About life in general.
0: It could be whatever Howie wants to put out there.
1: Live, love, and prosper, something like that. It
0: could be anything Howie Uh, is inspired to say or hasn't got to say.
1: I don't know. Follow your bliss. Go out there. Do it. Take your shot. It's never too late.
0: Right on, man. Well, hey, man. I really want to thank you for coming on the show. I know we've talked about it for a long time. We have. have. It's great to have you out here.
1: Thanks, Garrett. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's, it's enjoyed time, smoking
0: and drinking with you. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Next week, we are out. No show next week. I got a work function I got to go to. Biz is out. I'm out. You guys are going to have to ride solo next week. But... I'm going to get a couple more of the old episodes up on YouTube video for you guys. There'll be a few more things up there. We'll get this posted to all the other platforms. Hope you guys enjoyed it. When we come back, that following Thursday, I don't know what the date is off the top of my head. What's that date, Biz? 28th. Thursday the 28th. I got a special treat for you guys. So, all you local folks here in Texas, the great state of Texas, this is probably the number one requested guest we've had to date. Everybody talks about this Navy SEAL from Wiley, Texas. It's a guy named Scott Phillips. He's a preacher. He owns a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gym. He was a Navy SEAL. He just put out a movie with some other Navy SEALs. It's out. You can go watch it right now. I'm not going to drop anything else. But we're going to have Scott Phillips join us on the 28th here live. I don't think he drinks. I don't think he smokes. I'm still going to smoke, hang out. But we're going to have a good time with Scott. So all of you that have been asking me, messaging me, It happened. He's coming on the show. He's pumped up about it. I mean, if you know anything about this guy, Navy SEAL, Preacher, Movies, Jiu-Jitsu, what more do you want? This guy's going to have all kinds of stuff dropping on you guys next two weeks from now. So hope you guys will join us. We'll be back live on Rumble and YouTube. Until then, peace and be safe. There. Oh yeah.